Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin. continues to give so much, so many different ways that he has blessed the human race, and certainly uh, beautiful music, and the beautiful people to compose and to play the music as, as well. And the Schubert, yes, indeed, Schubert was a tremendous, tremendous composer, but you're a tremendous pianist, so turn to the 18th chapter in the Gospel of Matthew as we look today at uh, some lessons for life. Matthew chapter 18 and the beginning of verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, 
you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let's pray, please. Our Father in God, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we pray, Father, that you be our teacher through God the Holy Spirit, to the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to the benefit of your people, to the growth, the understanding of your people. May we, O oh Lord, as your children, respond positively to your truth, accepting your truth, living out your truth. And help us, O oh Lord, to share that truth with others in the hope and with the desire that lost people will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they'll be blessed with the forgiveness that you offer and the gift of eternal life. And Lord, for those here in our service today who are struggling, ill, grieving, loneliness, discouragement, whatever the case might be, we pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit you would touch their lives, their hearts, and heal them in their need. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. We ask now, Lord, respectfully, that you speak to us through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so, some lessons for life. And so the, uh, the disciples were actually uh, arguing among themselves, who would be the greatest in the kingdom? Now the kingdom that they're actually talking about is a, a political kingdom that they thought that Jesus was going to establish because, well, He's the Messiah. 
And uh, from what they understood, the Messiah would set up a political kingdom, that he would once again restore Israel to its former glory. And so they were fussing with each other, and they were actually arguing, and you can read that over in Mark, and I put that there for you, Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 33 through 37. It gives a little more insight into actually what was going on. As they're walking in the way, they're, they're fussing with each other. They're fussing with each other regarding what position they were going to have and who was going to have the highest position, or in other words, the highest seat, the most important seat. And you'll recall that after the last uh, event in the life of the Lord Jesus that we, we looked at uh, last week, how Jesus demonstrated humility by acquiescing and paying the temple tax. He stated and told Peter that he was actually exempt from that tax because he is the owner of the temple and that the disciples, being his children, were also exempt, but in order not to offend, he sent Peter, right? He gave Peter a task to go and catch a fish, and he said, when you catch the first one that comes up, open its mouth, and in there will be a, a coin. And that coin you take and you pay taxes for me and for you. Because Christians are supposed to pay taxes. We are to be honorable citizens in the country in which we live. He demonstrated humility. But he also earlier had spoken about his coming crucifixion. The fact that he was going to be betrayed, that he was going to be killed and beaten, but that he would die and rise up again. And they're, they're making their, their way to Capernaum to, to, most scholars believe, to Peter's home. And what are they talking about? Who's going to be the top dog? <laughs> Who's going to be the most important one? Okay? And they had it all wrong. Didn't they? And so Jesus, Jesus speaks to them, asks them that question. What is it that you were talking about on the way? Yeah, who's going to be the greatest? Now, pride. There are at least two different definitions of pride. There's a positive and there's a negative. As there is generally with, with most things. The positive side is, you know when, you're, when your children do well, there's a, a feeling on the inside of, of satisfaction, yeah, pleasing, something that's, that's been done well. They've achieved something, and you feel that, that sense of, of pride. It, it, that's a good or a positive type of pride. When we honor the Lord, we please Him. And He takes joy in us when we do those things that are honorable to Him. But then there's also a negative side. And that's the fleshly, self-centered side of, of pride. The desire for fame, position, power. That's what they were demonstrating who was going to be the top dog, so to speak, in the, in the yard? An ambition. Ambition. 
Now there are, again, two different ways of looking at ambition. And, and for us, if the Bible doesn't use that word ambition, but it, it uses the word desire. Desire. And so there is a, a positive side, spiritually, to provide for or to edify others. So uh, generally speaking, generally speaking, it was understood that a man was to be a provider, a provider for his family. And with that desire to provide for his family, he would work with tremendous ambition and energy and seek to advance so that he could earn more to provide for his family. And there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, that we had more of that today. Very different from the women's livers who push the idea, the idea that to be all that you really are, pursue your own career. Not necessarily to provide for your family, but so that you can exercise your talent and be recognized for your ability. That's not to say that it's a bad thing for a woman to have a career, no. Even in antiquity, both men and women worked and provided for their families. But there's a big difference between the attitude the attitude of, of wanting fame and position and power so that you can see, say, look at me, see what I've done. Now, when I was a kid, do you remember Cassius Clay? And then he changed his name to Muhammad Ali. Yeah. <coughs> Dance like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Now, he could fight. There was no, there's no question about it. He was a tremendous, talented boxer. There's something else. He was very braggadocious. He was also full of himself. And he believed the lie and accepted the terrible religion of Islam. I make no apology for calling it what it is. Islam born in the depths of hell. It is not a great religion. It is not. Pride, the intent of one's heart with respect to ambition. Well, notice how Jesus responds to this. Unless you are converted. He's talking about the rebirth or the new birth. Over in John chapter 3, we read of the encounter between the Lord Jesus and this religious person, this leader, Nicodemus. Now he comes to Jesus by night, and Jesus very quickly begins to teach him. And he mentions the need to be born again. And so Nicodemus, you know, he's scratching his head and he's wondering, so what, what are you talking about? A man going back into his mother's womb and coming back out again? <laughs> right? Well, of course, we know that's ridiculous. Jesus is talking about a spiritual birth. It's also referred to as being born from above. 
to be converted. And notice what he does. He takes a little child. He says, unless you become as little children. Humility. Some characteristics about children. Most children. Most children, young ones, they know they need their parents. Isn't that right? They know they need their parents. Now, I think I shared this once before when uh, our son Joseph was uh, in uh, kindergarten. He, he went to kindergarten at the school where I, I taught music. And so we're, we're driving and uh, he says, you know, I know some things that you just don't know. <laughs> and, uh, so I said, uh, well, that, that's probably true, but I, I'm sure you realize that I know some things that you don't know. And so you know what he does? He turns his head and looks out the, <laughs> looks out the window on the other side. <laughs> He wouldn't admit that. <laughs> but most children know that they need their parents. They know that they're dependent upon their parents. Dependent upon them. And most children know that they can trust their parents. I can recall when Eden was uh, rather young and they put her on the table and say, jump, jump, and she'd jump right into my arms, you know. As she got a little older, though. <laughs> But children are very trusting, generally. And they know that they're dependent upon their parents. And notice that this little child, when Jesus took the child, the child didn't try to run away. And didn't fast and all of that. He says, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child. Now, depending upon what you read or or what offer you read from in terms of antiquity. Some say that in antiquity, children, especially girls, were not highly valued. But then you read some other writers and they say, oh, you know, children were treasures. And I think we would all agree that children are, in fact, treasures, amen? Treasures that God has given to us. And notice what Jesus says. He says, whoever humbles himself as this little child, whoever, whoever recognizes that they are dependent upon God, whoever recognizes that they need God, whoever accepts the fact that life is a gift from God, you see that? And receives that and believes that and lives that, that person is born again. A person will never know true life apart from Jesus Christ in their life. Now, the world's priorities are the complete opposite of the scripture. The standard of greatness, very, very different from the Bible. Notice what he says here. Whoever received one little child in my name. Now the word that he uses here it's very different from the word for children. And so it's used in, or can be used in several different ways. It can also refer to 
Those who are in a lower class of life, the little people, you've heard that phrase, the little people of life? Those in a lower class? Those of lower socioeconomic means? The, what would be referred to as the unimportant people? But make no mistake about it, every person is important to God. Every person is important to God. I've shared with you before that um, one of the internships that I had the, the privilege of, uh, of being involved in was working over at convalescent centers and rest homes and senior centers. This was a long time ago. And so many of the residents, we refer to them as residents, so many of the residents, their family wouldn't come to see them. Some for months, some for years, some not at all. Just left and forgotten, so to speak, which should never happen. You see, there is this, uh, this idea that, oh, once a person gets to a certain age, they're no longer important. But that's just not true. And sadly, sadly, in so many of the churches today, everything is about the young people, the young people, the young people, right? They're our future. And so, what do you hear? Everything is geared towards the young, with music blasting so loud that you really can't enjoy it. I was at a church once, filled with all kinds of people, mostly young, and the music was so loud that it was hurting my ears, especially this left ear. And so I, I, I was there with a, a, a minister, another minister, I said, you know what, Rudy, I'm sorry, I need to leave because it's too loud and it's painful. It's actually hurting my ears. So I left. But I've been to other churches and I've looked around and most of the elders are not singing. Why? Because they don't know the songs. Because everything is geared towards the young. Why? Because, well, the old people just aren't that important. You know, we, we want to get those young families. <coughs> Make no mistake about it. Every single person in here today is important to God. You are important. You are a person of value. Christ loves you, and he gave his life for you, for both the young and the old. Receiving includes acknowledgement, acceptance, honor, and respect. And then Jesus goes on to say, whoever causes Whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, and he's referring to both children and to those who believe in Christ, <clears throat> to anyone who would seek to lead someone down the wrong path, he says, whoa. And we know from the Old Testament, whenever those prophets use that phrase, whoa, judgment, judgment. And I believe in the Sunday school, I think Brother Bob mentioned about how that some people can actually cross the line, if you will, 
of no return. They become so sinful in their lives that they cross that line of no return. Now there are some scholars and such that would argue this, well, you know, as long as you're living and as long as you're breathing. But we know this, that the longer a person rejects Christ, the harder and harder their heart becomes. And apart from some divine intervention, that person will die and spend eternity in hell. And so to receive one little child, and to receive Jesus, a person must acknowledge that they're a sinner. We're all sinners in here. Now, we, we wish we could stand up and say, no, I've never sinned. Well, you could say that, but then you'd be committing one, right? <laughs> because we're all guilty. The truth is, is that we are all sinners. And so we have to acknowledge. And then we also have to acknowledge that Jesus died on that cross. He died on the cross. His blood was spilled. It was shed. He is the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. There is no other Savior. There is no other Savior. He is the only Savior. And one must accept Him by faith, humbling, acknowledging, and confessing that they are a sinner, and then honoring Him by loving him and respecting him. Not using his name in a disrespectful manner. Whoever causes. Now, he goes on to say, a millstone. He said it would be better for that person, notice this, anyone who offends or causes to stumble, that's what that word really means, offenses, temptations, harms, hurts, leads a person in the wrong direction. Children as well as other adults. This is the, the sweet and loving and gentle Jesus because the world really doesn't know Jesus. The world doesn't know or recognize that he is God. Yes, he loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And if there is anything that a Christian is supposed to hate, it is sin. We are to hate what God hates. And we are to love and embrace what God loves and embraces. But notice what he says. That it would be better that a millstone be hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth. He means the deepest part of the sea. They will be held accountable. And what is meant by that? You see this millstone, the word that he uses, is the large millstone that has to be that has to be pulled by a donkey, too large for a human to turn, but it's turned by a donkey. What is he saying? He's saying that heavy millstone tied around that person's neck and then drowned in the deepest part of the sea so that there is no possibility of their body ever coming up or anyone going down to get it his friends or his family, etc., so that they can come in and give him a, a proper burial. He says, no, they don't deserve one. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here. Are there people that don't deserve 
an honorable burial, he's giving us the picture right here. Now you stop for a moment and consider all these people that are aborting children, aborting little babies, and those who want to pass laws and are passing laws for that purpose. Make no mistake about it. Our God is the giver of life. Our God is for life. Our God is for order. Our God is for law. But our God is compassionate and loving. Maybe you know someone, or maybe you've been involved in that. I shared with you once um, with this um, lady, Christian lady, who serves on the, on the staff of the church, over actually at the International, a great big church, the International Church. And we were talking one day, and she was sharing with me how the Lord changed her life. She was sitting on her bed with a pistol, ready to, to commit suicide. Because she had five abortions. Five. I almost fell off my chair when she told me that. But of course I didn't, you know, make any any change in my, in my facial features. Five abortions, he had gotten into all kinds of drugs and everything else. You know, she said, I, I believed the lie. Because that's what the world peddles. It peddles a lie. It destroys the life of babies and it destroys the life of their mothers. And what about the fathers, too? And other family members. But she said, there I was. I was about to take my life. And just as I raised that pistol, my phone rang. And it was my sister. And right there, my sister, I shared with her what I was going to do, and her sister told her that there was, there was hope. That hope is in Jesus. And she wept and she cried and she, she gave her heart to the Lord. She gave her life to the Lord. And today, she has children and grandchildren and she serves in the staff of the church. The Lord Jesus makes a difference in the life. He says, woe to the world because of offenses, temptations. You can't go anywhere in this world without sin being flaunted in your face. Isn't that right? When you go to the grocery store, if you're standing in line and you're on a diet, well, you have a rough time when you're standing there, right? Because what do they do? They tempt you with all that candy and donuts and everything else and the soft drink, you name it. Oh, but not only do they have that, they have all those magazines. You know, the, the magazines digging up the dirt on this person and that person, right? Well... Notice what it says. Woe to the man, but to the person by whom the offense comes or the temptation. We are not to be people who, who lead people down the wrong path. We need to move on. Another lesson in sacrificial living. Now, when you read this passage or portion of the scripture here where Jesus talks about cutting off a hand and a foot or, or plucking out an eye, that's not to be taken literally. 
He's using what is referred to as hyperbole. He's using an extreme, an extreme example. Because your hands represent your work. Your work. I remember when I was a boy, my father uh, taught me that a man's hands that are, that are dirty are honorable hands. And you should always be willing to shake that man's hand, no matter how dirty it is. Because a working man is an honorable man. And so is a working woman whose hands are, are dirty as a result of work. Activity refers to hobbies and habits. And then your feet refer to the lifestyle that you live, the path that you live, the direction of your life. Where do you go? And then your eyes, the focus, the priorities, and the desires once again. The Bible says the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Do you know that in the Bible, pride is never used in a positive way? And there are so many different Hebrew words and Aramaic words. As a matter of fact, over in the, in the book of Daniel, because the book of Daniel was written in both Hebrew and Aramaic, and there's a word that refers to Nebuchadnezzar the king, whose heart was hardened or filled with arrogant pride. So much so that he built this, this huge statue of himself and made a decree that everyone, when they heard the music, was to bow down and worship it. But you recall that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no. And you know the rest of the story. Pride. Your heart. Because that's what Jesus is really talking about here. The heart. The condition and the inevitable outcome. If your heart is filled with self and has no place for God, has no place for Christ in it, the inevitable outcome is a life that eventually will experience misery and wind up in hell. But for the Christian, the believer, the promise is that no matter the difficulties of life, we've all faced difficulties. We know what it is to fail. We know what it is to lose a loved one. We know what it is to be ill. We may even know what it is to, to lose finances, especially during the, the, the recession of 2008 and 2009. So many people lost so, so much. And then with the various hurricanes and other things that, that have happened across our country. But we have this promise that God says he will never leave us nor forsake us. And through all of that, he is with us. Even if the family is broken, even if there's, there's misery and pain or, or loneliness, God promises to be with us. And so what do we learn from this passage? True conversion includes humble acknowledgement and confession of one's sinfulness too and dependence upon God. Pride keeps people from coming to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. One must humble themselves before God. And humble service honors God. We should never serve 
They get that. That doesn't mean that it's, that it's wrong to pat someone on the back or, or to congratulate them or to recognize them. There, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the reason that you serve, that motive is not pure. People will be held accountable for the way they treat God's family. I'm sorry, I, I, I missed that S there. I see that. God's family. God is going to hold governments accountable for the way that they treat the church. God is going to hold governments accountable for the way they treat God's people. He's going to hold individuals and he's going to hold individual leaders accountable for the way that they treat God's people. Make no mistake about it. There is no, no way to hide anything from God. You cannot hide. Adam and Eve found that out. Our parents... You see, we are all brothers and sisters. Our first parents, going all the way back to the beginning, they sinned, and what did they attempt to do? To hide from God. But they couldn't hide. Each individual is responsible for the condition of his or her life. There are people today who believe that you are responsible for their failures. That is not so. Not so. When I was teaching at the university, I would share with students, one of the classes I taught was how to be successful in life and how to be a successful student. And I would start off by saying, you are where you are today because of choices and decisions that you've made and actions that you've taken. Don't blame your mother. Don't blame your father. Don't blame your neighbor. Don't blame so-and-so. You are where you are today because of choices that you have made. Now, are there exceptions? Yes. But not the general rule. Each individual is responsible for the condition of his or her life. If a person chooses a pathway or a life of sin and rejection of God, guess what? They're going to reap the consequences. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, sow the wind and you will reap the what? The whirlwind. Be not mocked, the Bible says. God is not deceived. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Do you want to reap goodness? Do you want to reap blessing? Then be one who sows blessing in the lives of others and in the kingdom of God. And you will reap blessing. And then lastly, Evil pride destroys life while humble servitude honors God and edifies people. We're to build one another up. Not tear one another down, but to build up. I would encourage you to do that the next time you eat out and the waiter or the waitress is not necessarily up to par. Instead of complaining, my, one of my sisters, um, she eventually you know, got hired by the post office and worked for the postal service for like 34 years or something. But before that, she worked at Denny's as a waitress. <laughs> and she said, oh, man, Sunday is just the worst. And I said, why? She said, all these church people come. 
And they complain and complain. Get me this, get me this. This is too hot. This is too cold. This is this. This is that. Blah, 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 blah. And then they leave a dollar on the table. She said, and you know, and, and they're, they're all Christians, right? They're supposed to be generous. They're real good at telling people what to do and, and what they're displeased with. And they leave you a dollar on the Don't be one of those. Don't be one of those. Demonstrate some patience. Now, I do realize, especially in the last two years, things have kind of gone downhill. But maybe you could read that, that bright, you know, ray of sunshine in this, in this person's life. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And as we sing, you come. You step out and make your, your decision for Christ. Let's stand, please. Maybe you're here and you're considering becoming a member. Well, step out and come forward. No better time than, than the present, amen, as we sing. pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word, and we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.